I didn't take time to say it earlier, but my name is Ron Cole, and I'm one of the pastors here. And again, uh, welcome to each and every one of you. Um, some of you are familiar with the name. Uh, it was a very famous one, still fairly famous to this day, but John D. Rockefeller. You can see there he died in uh, 1937. But, but Rockefeller, uh, you might recognize the name. He started Standard Oil that was later broken up into five companies, four of which are still in the largest 50s companies in the world. And so he was the richest man in the world. In fact, if you uh, counted in inflation, he would still be the richest man today. In fact, one way of looking at it, if you, if you take all history, he would probably be, I saw one list saying he was number three worth about $400 billion today, his own personal estate. So this guy was amazingly wealthy. Uh, uh, just made a, a great deal of money. He was also very gracious, very giving. Uh, it was a, a really special kind of guy. Um, but somebody once asked him, and, and they, they said, you know, Mr. Rockefeller, when is enough enough? I mean, how much is enough? How much do you need? And, and his answer has become pretty famous. His answer has become pretty famous. Some of you know it already. He says, how much is enough? Just a little bit more just a little bit more. Now, he wasn't talking as much about his own situation as he was about the power of greed. Well, what he was really talking about, the power of greed, and, and, and I think, again, one of the things that people who have, have been able to make some money, who've been able to get some resources, one of the things they recognize is that there's never enough. The, the power of greed is such that no matter how much we have, it's never enough, and we always need just a little bit more. The fact is, if you live in a $30,000 house, you'd think that a $35,000 house would make you happy. If you make $60,000 a year, you say, well, but seventy-five. that's really what I need. Seventy-five is kind of what I need. And if you live and get 75000 a year, or what, it's always just a little more. You know what? You know how much more the guy who's making $10 million needs? Just a little bit more. Because somebody's making eleven, and he knows what he could do with $11 million a year. And the guy making $100 million, guess what? He needs one hundred and ten. All of us, that's what greed does to us. That's what Rockefeller was talking about. Greed is, is so powerful. Greed is so gripping, and that's why, that's why it makes our list of fatal attractions, right? It, it, it can dominate us. It can grab a hold of us. It can rob us of joy, and it can destroy us. We're, we're doing this series on, on sin, on, on the fatal attractions, specifically on the seven deadly sins. And this morning, we find ourselves talking about greed. We've already looked at vainglory and envy and anger and sloth. Um, and, and this morning, we deal with with greed. And I want to start simply by saying I think greed is one of the nastiest of the seven deadlies. And, and the reason I think that it's so nasty, uh, one of the reasons at least, is that it's so easy to see in everybody else and so difficult to see in ourselves. One of the things greed does is it blinds it to our, you know, for most of us we'd say, well, maybe we got a low-grade fever. I, but I tell you, the people, and, and you know, I can see it in so many other people, the way money changes the way they act, the way money, you know, causes them to compromise their commitment. I can see that, their, their commitments and, and, and the truth. I can see that so easily in other people. I can see that so easily in other people. But I, I find it so hard to see that in myself. Because I'm not greedy. I could just use a little bit more. The fact is, I think for most of us, for most of us, what, what we'd say is, you know, I, I could use a little bit more, but I'm not really greedy. And, and that might be true, but I, I just wonder if we really need to spend some time this morning understanding how powerful greed is and all the ways that greed can, can, can get a hold of us and, and how much joy there is in being free to love and serve and give the way that God called us to and created us to. So let's think about greed. We're going to ask again the same three questions we've been asking. I've been asking through this series. What is it? Why is it deadly? And, and how do we fight against it? How do we experience some freedom from greed? And really, this is one, and, and I think it's true of all of them, but, but for greed, if we can get some help, it, it is true freedom. 
Because greed just controls us. Greed becomes a master. So what is greed? I'm not going to give you the definition right off. I'll give you that at the end of this section. But what I want to start with is, is and we've talked about this with some of the other sins, but is recognizing that, that greed, like so many of the other fatal attractions, is rooted in good gifts from God. Okay, it's taking something good that God created and then it gets twisted and it gets changed and somehow we cross lines in different places. And so what is it? It's a, it's a twisting, I want to suggest, of two good gifts that God has given us. The first is this. God created us with the ability to enjoy things, right? God could have just created us without bodies. God could have created us without eyes, without noses, without ears, without mouths, without feeling. God could have created us without any of that stuff. God could have created the world in black and white. God could have created the world flat. God could have created the world with no mountains and no no Grand Canyon and no waterfalls and, and no trees that change color in Michigan in the fall. God could have created all that, but he didn't. He created us with bodies, and he created us in a world that's full of good things to look at, good things to enjoy. God created us with a sensation so that when you work hard and fall into bed at the end of the day, it feels wonderful. God created us such that that cheesecake is just a gift. And it is a good gift. God created us to enjoy a gift of, of stuff. Okay, that's, and, 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 and as we talk about it again, the problem is not, and, and I, I mentioned this one because some people throughout history have kind of said, well, the problem is you care. And, and so we should become Stoics. That's, that's one of the philosophical groups, right? Stoics just, I don't care about anything. I don't, I'm not going to enjoy anything. I'm not going to, I will just do, no way. God created us with, with the ability to smell and, and to taste and to see. And that's a good gift. God wants us to enjoy it, okay? That's a good gift. The other good gift, I think, is the ability to own things. Now, I want to be very clear. The Bible makes it clear that God owns everything, okay? There's no question about that. But God has chosen to call us stewards. God has chosen to allow us to enjoy things, to use things, to give things, to develop things, to nurture things, to be stewards, right? God could have just said, well, you know what? And, 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 nobody owns anything, just me. But he said, no, I want you to understand the joy of giving. So I'm going to put this in your hands, and you're going to give it to somebody else. I want you to understand the joy of, of, of nurturing and developing something that's yours. And so God puts it in our hands, and we get the opportunity to do that. Again, sometimes people say, well, the problem that we have to, with, with, what causes all the greed is just private ownership. And, 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 and so what we have to do is get rid of ownership. And if nobody owns anything, then imagine that world, right? I mean, if nobody... The problem is not ownership. The problem is greed. Biblically, the problem is our hearts. I think God created us to enjoy things. God created us to, to, to own things. And, and, and the Bible makes this clear. James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from God, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, James is going to just nail us for our greed later on in this letter. But he said, the problem is not that that God has given us good gifts. God has, and that's a good thing. That's a a good thing. Again, Paul in, in Timothy, in a section where he's talking about the power of greed, he says, but command those who are rich in this present world to put their hope in God, who what? who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gave us the ability to enjoy things. God gave us the ability to own things, and and we need to just kind of recognize that. That's not what the problem is. That's not what the problem is. But where does it become a problem? 
Here's, here's where it becomes a problem. What happens is we begin to ask too much of things. We begin to ask too much of money. In some ways, you know, God, the things in money, I think they're supposed to be, uh, let's make them like a, a grapefruit, okay? You know, they're kind of that kind of thing. They're there to enjoy. It's stuff. It's good. You enjoy it. It's, and, and it's supposed to do that. But what happens? What happens when greed takes over us? What happens in sin is, is that instead of these things just being there to give us some level of enjoyment, some level of joy, some level of fun and stewardship and nurture and creativity and all those things, what happens is they begin to become everything to us. And we ask, what we end up asking, I think, I'm going to list three. You can maybe come up with others, but my problem is, and maybe yours as well, is I start to look at my things, I start to look at my money, and I ask it to give me maybe all three of these things. The first one, I think, is significance. To say, okay, I can be somebody. If I have this car, if I have this house, if I have this whatever, then I can be somebody. If I make this much money, then I can be somebody important. And maybe more often what we feel is, I'm not somebody because I don't have that kind of house. I'm not somebody because I don't have that kind of income. I'm not somebody. How many of us don't feel like when we are a part of an association, maybe even here at a, a church meeting, how many of us don't say, well, nobody listens to my voice because I'm not one of the big hitters. Nobody listens to me because I don't make a lot of money. Nobody listens to me because I don't have a lot of stuff. But if somebody has a lot of stuff, we notice it. And if you think that America invented this, uh uh-uh. Let's go back to James. James 2, 2 to 4. The danger he talks about in the church. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, James is here specifically telling us how to treat people, but, but I just want us to notice the fact that this happens. This happened in the church at that day, and it's still, it's so hard to fight against. It's so hard to fight against. The fact is, you know what, we look at somebody, and if I can give you the, the impression that I have success... If I can give you that impression, then I feel significant. But I'll tell you, my stuff can't, I can't have enough stuff to feel significant. If my significance is rooted, that's what J.D. Rockefeller is talking about. If my significance is, is rooted in having enough stuff, if I feel like I'm finally going to be respected because I have enough stuff, let me tell you, I've talked to an awful lot of people who have an awful lot of stuff, and a lot of them feel, don't, very, feel, don't, don't feel very respected. They're still looking for significance. They're still saying, maybe if I had a little bit more. Maybe if my boat was a little bigger. Maybe if this was a... And, and I'm not saying anybody... That's not anybody who has stuff. Don't get me wrong there. But, but that's where greed comes in. That's where it gets twisted. God gave us these things to enjoy. But the difficulty comes. The difficulty comes when, when we start to ask them to give us significance. The second thing it, it can do is, is we ask money and things to give us security. I, I can rest. I can sleep well tonight because I finally have enough. Now... I am not preaching against Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is awesome. He's great. If you can have three months of money in the bank, we have three months of expenses here in the bank at church. But if my security is in the fact that, hey, I know I can get paid for three months if none of you give another nickel, that's just stupid. Because only God can give me security. Only God can give us security. So go ahead, get your three months, get all that stuff, do that. But don't be a fool. Don't start to say, okay, because I have this much money, now I'm taken care of. Because I have this much money, now I can be secure. Again, let's go back to 1 Timothy 6.17 and fill in the section I didn't read. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. We talked about pride the first week. Nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. 
Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And, and, and so again, Paul's passion there in, in writing to Timothy is, is, is not to say stuff is bad, rich people are bad. He's to say they, they face a danger. We face a danger when we get enough money. We face a danger that we can start to say, I'm secure, I'm okay. But you know what? You can never have enough. You can never have enough. My, when, my, when my grandpa died, my grandpa Denoyer died, he left my grandma over a million dollars in 1963. You could live on a million dollars. Just the interest is perfect. Guess what? Stock markets go up, stock markets go down. And grandma ended up living on the kids. You can't, it's, it's just, you just can't count on it. There's, there's no amount of money that's enough. There's no amount of money that says, I can guarantee now I have security, and there's no amount of money that can stop viruses and cancer and those sorts of things. But we start to say, look, if I have this, then I can sleep. If I have enough, then I can sleep. Now, I can't sleep sometimes when the bills, I don't have enough. And, and so, but guess what? Even when I have enough, I still have all kinds of worries and anxieties. And, and, and so we start to make money into something that gives us security, it, its significance, its security. And then, and, and then it's also, we say, well, it can give me happiness. If I have just a little bit more, then I can be happy. I, don't, I, 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 I would be happy if I had this car. I would be happy if I had this house, whatever it is. I mean, again, it's so difficult because we live in a world that just tells us over and over and over again that, that, that things are the key to happiness. That, that, I mean, think about it. You remember some of you, I don't know if they're still running or not, but Maxwell House Coffee. You know, I mean, the advertisement teaches me that if I drink Maxwell House Coffee in the morning, my kids come home from college. And they're good looking. <laughs> I mean, right? See, if I just could afford Maxwell House, if I could just afford this watch. And, and, and so we say, I, you know, I can't be happy because I don't have enough stuff. I promise you this, wherever you are financially, if you're not happy here, you're not going to be happy with a hundred times that. And if you're happy here, you can be happy with a hundred times that. If your happiness is tied into what you have, you will never have enough. Jesus, Luke 12, 15, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. We ask things to give us significance, security, and happiness, and the problem is there is never enough. And so now instead of me becoming the master of my stuff, now instead of me being a steward of my stuff, of my money, that stuff begins to control me. That stuff begins to control me because I need a little bit more, right? Here's what happens, the final kind of step. Money or things become our masters because we always need just a little bit more. And, and I find myself driven by this. And, and it's so powerful and it's so difficult. I'll give you my own, some personal examples. But, but, but Jesus makes it clear. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Interesting. That money becomes a master, a God. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money, it, it, it can become that God. It can become that master that controls us because we never have enough. It will never give us enough to give us significance and security and happiness. Again, First Timothy 6. For the love of money is a root, not the root, but is a root of all kinds of evil and, and, and again, just the, the passion and the compassion in what Paul is saying. Some people eager for money, greedy, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It becomes our God. It can so easily become our source of security and significance and happiness. And that, friends, is our God. And it's not a very good God because it never satisfies. 
and it is never satisfied. Money doesn't die for you, Jesus does. And that's the only place for security. So now let me give you my definition of greed. Oh, that was just about getting to this place, right? What is it? This again, Rebecca Kneindike de Young talks about this, and, and this is close to what she says. It's an excessive love of or desire for money or the things money can buy, okay? It's an excessive love of or desire for money or the things money can buy. Now, here's where this gets really challenging. That word right there. It's excessive. And, and, and that raises the question, well, when does it cross the line? When does it cross the line? Where is that line? The fact is, it's not wrong to enjoy things. It's not wrong to enjoy a beautiful car. It's not wrong to enjoy a beautiful home. It's not wrong to enjoy a beautiful boat. It's not wrong to enjoy the cottage. It's not wrong to enjoy those things. It's not wrong to own them. It's not wrong to share them. It's not wrong to do that. But when we become obsessed, when those things cross the line, then we have a problem. And, and I'll tell you, one of the biggest challenges is trying to find that line. Fascinating Tim Keller illustration here. Robert Kane in 1635, all right, 1635, that's a long time ago, was in Boston, belonged to the first congregational church in Boston, and he was put under church discipline. I don't think they kicked him out, but they disciplined him. And the reason listed in their minutes, uh, the council minutes, for why they disciplined um, Robert Kane is this. He was guilty of greed, because he made 6% profit. 6% profit. Now, the point is not 6% is too much, but the point is, how do you decide? You see, the community had gotten together, and, and the business guys in the community said, let's, let's recognize that greed is wrong, but where does greed start? And they said 4% is not. 4%, they said, was Christian, but 5% was greedy. 6% was greedy. Now, I'm not saying... I'm not saying you ought to f- come up with a number, but what I'm saying is what we tend to do, I think, and what I tend to do in these situations is say, well, you can't make a rule. I can't tell exactly where the line is. So I say, I don't worry about the line. But I want to suggest we all ought to need to be just saying, God, help me to see when have I crossed over? When has it become excessive? I, here's a little confession time for you. A week and a half ago, a couple weeks ago now, um, I was with a group of ministers, and one of, the, one of the questions that comes up sometimes in that setting is, so when people ask you a wedding, you know, what do you charge, or what do you suggest? See, we don't charge, we suggest, because um, we're ministers, we're not greedy, so we don't charge, we suggest, right? There's, there's strike one, right, what greed does to us. We suggest, and so I said what I usually suggest, and the next guy suggested the same amount, and then the third guy gives something more than twice that. And I, I had two simultaneous thoughts. The first was, you're greedy. You're greedy. And the second was, maybe I could suggest more. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that was exact. I mean, it was just that quick. I thought, gosh, if I did that, whatever, 14, 15 weddings this year? Man, oh man, I could fly to Boston or New York. Or... And I thought, God, Ron, look at this. Right? I mean, it is so difficult to know. You know, for most of us, what I think I say is, you know, you want to know where their line is? What's an appropriate house for a Christian to own? Mine. (laughs) See, I'm right at the edge, but anybody who owns a house that's worth more than mine, you're greedy. And you all feel the same way, right? (laughs) I, I mean, the line is just beyond where we are. Actually, it's two steps, because I can go one more step. If I could, I'd move up. Uh, it's, it's, so it's two steps. And, and, and so we do this over and over again. And, and, and part of the discussion and the challenge I want you to have with yourself, with God, with the Spirit, with each other, 
is to maybe find some people. Maybe you sit, say, can we come up with some guidelines for us to say, you know what, I think this is going to be where we say, yeah, I think this is, I, I can't tell you. I really can't. It's an issue of your heart. I, that's why I say, you know, 4%, 6%. I mean, you know, on the one hand, we laugh at that and say that's crazy. On the other hand, at least they're trying. At least they're trying. Now, again, in our day and age, I don't worry about those numbers or whatever. But, you know, are, are we trying? Are we struggling to say, hold on. Is, is this indicating an excessive love or desire for? Uh, kind of another way to tell, and Andy Kivenhoven uh, did this here years and years ago, back before we even built this building. So um, he talked about the way it's supposed to be, and he said, this is how God created us to be with our stuff. We're called to love people and use things, right? That's we call to love people and use things. And, and Kivenhoven, this was old school, man. He wrote this on this board, right? He had a whiteboard, and he wrote it on there. Love people, use things. But because of sin, now it's not the way it's supposed to be. And what happens is those two switch places. And we begin to love things and use people. We begin to love things and use people. And that is so easy to do. You can say, I'd never do that. Have you ever chewed out a sales clerk for a, an item you think is $10 overpriced? I do that, and then I walk out and I think, seriously, I trashed one of God's creatures, created his image for 10 bucks. I, I did that to that person for 10 bucks. It's a person. Now, I might, they might be more than they should have charged, but still, this person didn't even set it. But I'm willing to just destroy this person as best I can in Christian love. I'm willing to destroy this person because, man, I want that 10 bucks. I want that 10 bucks. And I know, God, this, this is where the greed just gets, and, and I'm guilty of that. And, and, and so that's where I say it is so hard. It is so hard, and that excessive love or desire for money, it, it crosses that line so easy, and it is so subtle that I find myself saying, if I had this, I could be happy. And, and the ability we have to rationalize. Huh? All right, let's talk about it. How, how is it deadly? That's what it is. It's that excessive love of or desire for money or the things money can buy. How is it deadly? Uh, I think I have five things here, all right? But the first one is it just deadens our conscience, our morality. You know, there are issues that are black and white until my money is involved. And almost every issue that involves my money is at best gray or white. But when my money gets involved, it's black and white. Or it's gray, rather. Because it's just, you know, in my situation, you have to understand. Again, here, you know I'm rotten anyway. A couple weeks ago, I went and bought, and and I bought five storage totes from Menards. Because we have too much stuff. And honestly, this morning, this morning when I was practicing this, I said four because I thought five sounded greedy. And I thought, look at this, I'm, I'm lying to the congregation because I can't confess that I bought five storage totes. I did. They were only 10-gallon totes, though. Okay, they weren't big ones. They were only 10-gallon totes. But I bought five, and I actually grabbed six. And the clerk trusted me that I had five. And I got home, and I realized I had six. And I said, oh, I got to drive back. And then I said, you know, all those rebates that I never sent in, that's what this is. That's what this is. And I thought, look at this, how quick I am to rationalize and, and, and to, you know, to say, you know, I mean, I, I had one forty bucks that I lost the check for, so I actually should go steal about five more totes. <laughs> that's where I go sometimes. That's what, when, when I... And that's why I need freedom, right? Okay, so it deadens our conscience and morality. First Timothy 6, 9, those who want to get rich, the greedy, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I mean, that's what, I mean, I'm, I'm stealing totes. 
They were $2. I did bring it back, just so that you know. I did bring it back, and I actually bought it because I thought I needed six. Um, (laughs) But I'm ready to $2, and I'm ready to cheat and lie and steal. Proverbs 11, verse 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. It was a problem from the very beginning that I would kind of always have the scales tip in my direction. So it just deadens our conscience and our morality, and we choose not even to look at a lot of things. You know, I mean, we, again, ministers talk about this one. So somebody in your church wins the lottery, you know, can you take the money? Somebody wins out at Vegas, can you take the money? And I've always said, hey, there's nothing better to wash money in than the blood of Jesus. Um, but I mean, it's, but it's really hard. It's really hard when it involves dollar signs. It's really hard not to just, I mean, it's hard to do the right thing. Second thing, it robs us of joy and contentment, right? Because nothing I have is good enough. Nothing I, all I can see is what I don't have. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 12 and 13 says, you know, it doesn't matter how much you have. That's not the source of contentment. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, this is the key to contentment. It's knowing I can do all things. I can face whatever circumstances through Christ who gives me strength. But when I make things, when I make my income the source of my joy, when I say I'm going to be happy when I'm sitting in this place, You know, you could be on the most beautiful beach in the world, but if you're a miserable person, you're going to be miserable there. And you can be in a small little cabin up in the Northwoods with no electricity, but if you're happy, you're happy there too. It's not the stuff. It's knowing that we are in God's hands. It's it's loving people and using things. All right, so it robs us of joy commitment. It takes away the joy of giving. It takes away the joy of giving. God created us and allowed us to use stuff so that we could give it away. But because of our greed... I might still give it away, but it's not with any joy. It's under compulsion. It's under difficulty. And, and we're just missing so much when we become tight-fisted about, about the joy of giving. It destroys relationships. As I said, we, we begin to love things and use people. It, it, again, I, I, you've had that with people where all of a sudden money gets involved. That's I, my, I, my dad... My brother's dad was a car dealer. Brothers, three of them are car dealers. He said, you ain't working together because I want you to be brothers. If there's one thing that can separate brothers, it's trying to run a business together. Now, some of you have done it, and that's awesome, and I praise you for that. But I'll tell you, when money enters the equation, I mean, I mean Tammy and I put in an above-ground pool and asked my dad, dad, can you, you know, we got to borrow, you know, $3,000. Can we borrow it from you? And he said, nope. He had a lot. He said, nope. So I want you to be my son, not my renter, not my... So we went to the bank. Good thing. It's a good thing. You know how that goes, right? You, you, you loan somebody money, and then you start to pay attention. You say, hold on. You couldn't pay me this month, but you guys went to Disneyland. And all of a sudden, it's really hard. Money is that powerful. It destroys relationships and, and so on. And, and then, again, most seriously, it, it puts us in a place where we put our faith in things and in money, not in God. These things begin to control us, and and they become the source of our significant security and happiness instead of God. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. 
And again, one of the biggest challenges, I think, for those of us who have resources is that we can begin to trust in ourselves. We can begin to trust in our resources to say at the end of the day, it's all God's. And that's where my security comes from. He is the one who richly provides us with everything good. So we put our faith in things and money, not God. All right, how do we fight against greed? How do we try to begin to experience freedom in in this area of our lives that is, again, I think for all of us, we have at least a low-grade fever. I don't know if we can live in our culture and not have a low-grade fever, but how do we fight against it? I think the first thing is we name it. Biblically, we call that confessing it. We call it just saying, you know what, God, these are the places You don't have to confess as publicly as I have, but, um, you know, I mean, to to me, I I just need to be honest. Again, my my, my temptation, I go back to that, you know, with with whatever it is, whether it's Menards or, or, you know, what do you suggest for weddings and so on. And I just, I got to say, God, I'm sorry. I went there so quick. God, I need help because I was judging my brother and I was, you know, and, and, and I was doing all kinds of and just owning that and confessing that. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Just say, God, help me to see, have I crossed that line? Or maybe more honestly, God, where have I crossed that line? God, where, where am I not able to find my real joy in you? Because I'm, I'm, I'm being controlled by that money monster. So I think we have to just start, this is one very importantly, that we just confess it. We just acknowledge that, uh, you know, and I don't, again, I, well, I'm going to say, I really don't think I'm a terribly greedy person, but doggone it, at least I'm a greedy one. Um, I, I don't know how bad my case is, but I know I got a case of it. Second thing, um, and th- this is really important, and I hope kind of fun, but to ask God for clear vision. To ask God for clear vision. And what I mean by that is to ask God to help us see things for what they are. To help us to be, because what happens again with greed is that things which are there to enjoy and they're nice and they're good and they're beautiful and they're fun, things that are there for us to enjoy, they begin to become the key to happiness. They become the key to our security. And what we need to do is just come back and say, you know what? It's just a cup of coffee. It might be a good cup of coffee, but it's just a cup of coffee, okay? It's, it's just a house. It might be a beautiful house, but at the end of the day, it's just a house. God, help me to see this thing for what it is. Help me to see it, that it's a thing, it's stuff, it's not happiness, it's not security, it's not significance, it's not any of that. It's just a car, it's just a house, it's just a bank account, and, and we need help with that. Interesting little story in, in Mark 8, verse 24, and this is the New Living Translation, but Jesus is healing a guy who was blind, okay? And this is one of those stories where Jesus spits in his hands, puts it on the guy's eyes, and then Jesus says, can you see and, and this is just fascinating what happens next, I think. The man looked around, and he said, yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And I thought, that's kind of how sanctification works, or about how we become more like Jesus and how we get set free. And, 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 and so what we do is, yeah, we might belong to Christ, but we still see people looking like trees and cars looking like happiness. <laughs> And I say, God, help me clear up my vision. Jesus spits again, puts it on the guy, says, okay, now I see. And, and so part of what I want to invite you to do is just pray, God, help me to see what stuff is. Help me to see what's really there. Help me to see so that I can enjoy it for what it is, and not ask it to do too much. Because it's so easy to ask our stuff to do too much. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. It's not 
anything that's going to last. I think the reason that the Bible tells us that heaven is paved with gold is to say this stuff that we find so valuable here is paving tar in heaven. It's going to be, it's just stuff, friends. It's just stuff. It's streets of gold because it's that which we find so valuable, we're going to be walking on it. And and so if we can kind of get that, part of that as well as I think laughing at the myth of more, becoming experts in, and again, do this with your kids watching TV. And again, 47 inches is a Christian size. (laughs) 50 is greedy. Next year, I pray it's different. Um, (laughs) But to laugh at the myth of more, teach yourself to do that. When an advertisement comes on, say, seriously? Seriously, if I drank more Bud Light, I'd have a six-pack of abs and girls hanging all over me. Seriously. I don't drink enough beer. That's my problem. Seriously, my kids get better looking if I drink Maxwell House coffee. Seriously. And to just laugh at the myth of more. Enjoy the coffee. Enjoy a Bud Light. But, but don't fool yourself into thinking. And, 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 and teach you. Just laugh at it and say, how silly am I? that I'm thinking if I have this, I'm going to really find happiness or I'm going to be significant or people should respect me because I wear this kind of a watch or whatever or I have this kind of a pen in my pocket. I mean, just laugh and, and say, God, I am such a fool. I mean, one of the, the biblical image for sin in Proverbs is foolishness. And, and that's why the Proverbs, I mean, this is, I am such a fool, God. I am chasing after stuff that doesn't satisfy I am doing that so clearly. So laugh at the myth of more. I, I think a great thing to do, and, and you don't have to give it here, but just give regularly and joyfully. One of the ways to punch the greed monster in the face is to give money away and to enjoy it and to just say, you know what? I could buy X with it, but I'm going to do this with it. And, and, and to discover the great freedom of saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't have that thing, and I'm still happy. And if I wasn't happy, you won't be even if you got it. But, you know, again, I, kind of a different context. I just I remember Max Lucado talking about, uh, this is different, but it'll fit, okay. Um, but, you know, talking about, you know, people call him and say, oh, you got to speak, you got to speak, you got to speak. And he said, you know, I, I need to spend time with my family. He said, no, this is about a year in the future. After that was done, he called that group and said, how'd your conference grow? And he said, it was the best we ever had. And he's thinking, they told me it couldn't work without me. <laughs> and he said, you know what, they did. And I think sometimes with stuff, just to give stuff away so that, so that we realize, you know, I can be happy without that and to discover a deeper joy because of it. So again, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And a cheerful giver is experiencing freedom. And I just encourage you to do it and I encourage me to do it, to grow in, in giving regularly and joyfully and then finally remember that god will meet all our needs not wants but all our needs not in our time frame maybe not even in this world but god will take care of us again in philippians 4 paul says i have learned the secret of being content verse 19 says in my god will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in christ jesus and 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 so i know this is kind of a long list maybe you pick out just one of these things to look at but to just say, God, show it to me. i, I got to confess this. God, help me to see things for what they are. Help me to see the bank account for what it is. God, help me to laugh at the myth of more. Give regularly, and God, help me to remember that you're going to provide all my needs. I, I, again, in Christ, this is all about freedom. 
In Christ, we can be free to enjoy and share and use God's good gifts. When we find our significance, our security, and our happiness in Christ, then stuff can become a grapefruit again. Not this just huge world. It's just a grapefruit. We enjoy it. We eat it. We play with it. We give it to somebody else. It's just stuff. And we can begin to love people and use things. Let's pray together. Father, stuff holds such promise. It it looks like if we just had a little bit more. And so set us free. Help us to see, Father. Help us to see that that you are the ultimate gift and, and just set us free to give and love and share and to enjoy the things and to own the things that you've given to us to have and to own and to give away. And, and so, Father, we just pray for freedom uh, this morning once again. We pray this in Jesus' name because he's the only one who can do it for us. Amen. Will you please stand? Again, as we go from this place, uh, there are going to be some people gathering in the prayer room there on that side of the auditorium. If you'd like to meet with somebody or pray with them. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will go with us and know that Jesus is enough and we can be free. Go in God's grace. Amen.